Well, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. We're continuing, of course, our study of this great book. It's a powerful book showing God's redemption of his people Israel from bondage in Egypt. And I think this evening we're seeing probably the greatest event, one of the great events in the Word of God in all history, is where God parts the Red Sea so that the nation of Israel can march out of Egypt. And we, we see the deliverance of the Jews and the judgment of the Egyptians. And I think as we look at this, we, we see the wonder and the power and the sovereignty of God and, and how he delivers and protects and judges. And at the end of the passage, we see the response of the Jewish people to this great act of God. As we look at this, we also might want to think about how do we respond to God's great acts to deliver us from sin by his son, Jesus Christ. There's a lot there. As we look at this passage, we want to keep our focus on our great God who has saved us, who provides, and who protects. Let's start with prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you again for Jesus. Thank you for the salvation you've given us in in him. Thank you for the Bible, how perfect it is, especially the Old Testament book of Exodus. Lord, we thank you for the fact that salvation is a gift. And Lord, we just pray that as a body, as a local church and as a body, that when we go into this community, we'll go with the good news message of Jesus Christ and the clear grace message of salvation. Lord, that we ask you, you teach us as we study tonight, as we see your majesty and your power. Thank you for all these things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are really two ways to look at the Word of God. You can look at the Word of God and you can say, it's, it's a good book. You can look at the Word of God and say, it's the Word of God. You know, people can say the Scripture and they can say, well, you know, it's a good book. It's written by people and there's stories. In fact, there's good stories in there and there's principles and things that can help us. But other people could say, no, no, it's, it's the Word of God given by the perfect God. It is given to man in a written form. It is called inspiration and that we are to know it and apply it and continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So how do you look at the Bible when you think about it? Is it a good book? Or is it the inspired word of God? Is it alive and powerful and sharpening to edges sword? Is it profitable? Has it never come back void? Does it always accomplish God's purpose? I think one of the areas that often causes problems when people look at Scripture is the miracles. And and we've seen it in the life of Christ on Sunday morning when, when he's doing the seven signs and he you know, heals this man and, and the people don't want to admit it. Even the religious leaders, even though they know his eyes are opened, that we're going to see next week, they call in his parents and say, is that really your son and was he really born blind? I mean, we don't really want to believe this, and people don't want to believe it. Think about this. There's always areas that people say, I just, I just don't think that's true. Think about this. What about Jonah and the fish? People say, no, there was no, no man was swallowed by fish and, and was alive. I mean, that just, that's just a story. It just didn't really happen. And some people say, there wasn't really an Adam and Eve. I mean... There were people, but but not a particular Adam and Eve. They, they, they're not literally two people. They just represent, basically, the human race. Then some people say there was no flood like that. Not a flood that flooded the entire world. Not a flood that went up on top of all the mountains. I mean, there may have been a local flood where this man named Noah lived, but not a real flood all the way. And then people say this. What a parting of the Red Sea. It's not possible that there would be a wall of water on both sides and they'd go all the way through on dry land and all those things. Well, when they say things like that, they want to discredit the Word of God. Some people say the stories are just not true. But let me ask you this question. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say about Jonah and the fish? Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. So let's just face it. Jesus said there was a Jonah and that he was in the belly of a fish three days and three nights. 
What, what did Jesus say about Adam and Eve? He actually said in the beginning, God created them male and female. He created them, and that's Adam and his wife. Um, what did Jesus say about Noah? He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And then we find in Hebrews 11, verse 29, it says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through on dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. So we see Jesus actually says that there was a, a Jonah, and there was an Adam and Eve, and there was a Noah. And the book of Hebrews tells us how they passed through on the Red Sea on dry land. And, and so how do you view the Bible? And it's so powerful to say the Bible is God's Word. It is a story of God's written revelation. We have the 2-2 class, and I always teach that revelation is God making himself known, and inspiration is God making himself known in written form. And that's what we have. As you know, we believe, I believe, our church holds to the fact that the Bible is God's perfect Word given to us by the Holy Spirit through people so that we can know it and apply it. And this evening, as we look at God's written perfect Word, we see one of the great miracles of all. It is where God delivers His people by parting the Red Sea, and then He drowned the Egyptian army that followed Him. I mean, it's a powerful thing. It's not just he got his people out somehow. It's not that they ran across some shallow water, got to the other side and just ran off where the Egyptians could get to them. It's God part of the Red Sea. They went through on dry land, and when the Egyptians came after them, the water covered them up and drowned them. There is so much in this passage. I was watching a show, and, and it's something that you would say the same thing, but I was watching a show where two so-called scholars were talking, and one, Bible scholars, and one of them was a believer and one of them wasn't, and the one that wasn't a believer, they were arguing over this part, and he said uh, the, the Jewish people did not go through on dry land. It, it was a shallow little area called the Sea of Reeds, and as they went across the Sea of Reeds, they went into shallow water and were able to escape, and the Egyptians just were not able to ca- catch them. And the other guy said, what, but didn't the Egyptian army drown? And, and the guy said, well, maybe. He said, but how could they drown in shallow water? I mean, think about, he said, think about what you're saying, you know, and it is true. So as we begin, let me just remind us where we are. God has judged the Egyptians. They refused to let the nation go to back to the promised land. So God brought judgment, brought the plagues. There were ten plagues. The last plague was the death of the firstborn. At the death of the firstborn, the Egyptians said, please leave. Pharaoh called in Moses and said, you leave and get out of here and ask the Lord to bless me. And as they're leaving, they're marching out of Egypt. It looks really good. He is leading them by this cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And they go and they start off and they could either go. They could either go north through the area of the Philistines. They could go in the middle, which would be sort of a desert area. And they could go south. And they started south. And then they turned around and they've come back. And the best that we can tell is they've come back and they've stopped. And, and there's a body of water there, which we call the Red Sea. And we're not sure exactly where they would have crossed. But there's this body of water. And if you look one side, there's basically wilderness. And, and another side, wilderness. And they look up and here come the Egyptian army. And they're coming after them. And so they're really trapped. And they're trapped because God trapped them there. God is the one directing them by the pillar of, cloud, uh, pillar of fire at night and the cloud by the day. And that cloud is directing them. And they're directing them right back to this position. Look at verse 3 of chapter 14. It says, For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, They're wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. 
and they did so. So this is what they did. They, they're following him. Pharaoh brings seven, 600 of his chariots. Look at verse 7. And he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. They're coming after the Jewish people. In verse 10, the Jews see him coming. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked and beheld the Egyptians were marching after them. They became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, they did what was right. They cried out to the Lord. That's what you're supposed to do, right? And so he, they said, they cried out to the Lord and they, they said to Moses, now, then they, when they cried out to the Lord, they began to blame God and Moses, basically Moses. They said to Moses, it's because there are no graves in Egypt. You've taken us away to die in the wilderness. Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out this way? It, isn't it, didn't we just say when it's our word that we spoke to you, it'd be better let us serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness? They're blaming Moses. But Moses said, I want you to do three things. Watch what he said. Stop being afraid. Stand still and see the salvation that the Lord will provide. Notice, look at verse 13. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. He's basically saying, stop being afraid. Second, stand by or stand still. That's basically, stand there. God's going to want to handle the problem. And then the third thing he said, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you will never see them again forever. For it is the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. I think we talked about this last time. In the circumstances of life, we just have to trust God. And in fact, think about it this way. In the circumstances of life, don't be afraid because God is with us. Be still. Know that God is the one working. See the salvation of God. God is the deliverer and the Savior. Let me tell you, it's God who is the Savior. They are not going to fight. They're not going to lift a hand. They're not going to do one thing. God is going to do it all. They're just there. Because in reality, they are not soldiers. They're not soldiers. And I want you to think about this. They don't ever fight. This is not the generation, and we talked about this last time. They don't ever really fight. They're not the generation that took the promised land. This generation died off in the 40 years wilderness. It's their children. It's the young ones who become the soldiers and fight. Well, look what God told Moses to do. Now, he just told them to be still and watch. And so look what happened. Verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Well, I would say, I would say, I thought we were supposed to cry out to you. I mean, aren't we supposed to cry out to you when the problems come? Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Now, I think it's an amazing thing that God says, why are you, tell, why are you talking to me? Just go on forward. Well, Moses could say, I can't go forward because there's a bunch of water there. And I can't go this way because it's a bunch of wilderness. And I can't go this way, it's a bunch of wilderness. And I can't go back this way because the Egyptians are coming. So what do you want me to do? And God said, go forward. And we'd say, wow. He's going to tell Moses to lift up his staff and part the Red Sea. And Israel will go on dry land and Egypt will come after them. God's promises are greater than any problem. We have problems every day. We talked about it this morning about why do bad things happen. And everything comes in our lives and we say, I don't understand this, I don't understand this. And we just have to say, look, Lord, we just have to trust you. All your promises are greater than any problems we might have. We're going to see four things that God does in this passage. Here they are. He's going to move the cloud and the fire to protect them. He's going to part, he's parts the sea. He's going to part the Red Sea and they're going to go on dry land. He's going to, there's going to be troubles to the Egyptians because the Egyptians are going to follow after him, but he's going to trouble the Egyptians. And then he's going to close the Red Sea 
over them. That's the four things. I want you to see this. Let's start with first, he's going to move the cloud. This is their protection. Watch what he does uh, in this section. Uh, Let me give you the idea of what he tells him he's going to do. Look at verse 15 again. The Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go for it. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the sons of Israel will go through the midst of the sea on dry land. That's what he tells them. Lift it up. They're going to go through on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They will go in after them. I will be honored through Pharaoh and all the army and through the chariots and the horsemen. Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh and through his chariots. Now, watch what God does. The angel of God. Now, I'm going to to ask you a question to think about this for just a second. Look what it says. The angel of God had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Is that two different things? In fact, notice what it says. The angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. Who is the angel of God? And the pillar of cloud moved before them and stood behind them. Now, some people say that the angel of God is the, is the pillar of fire. And the cloud is the cloud. And that's also the Shekinah glory. Most say that both are representations of God. One is the fire and one is the cloud. One is the one that gives them the light at night. One is the one that gives them the shade by day. But watch what happens. The angel of God who had been going before the camp, who had been leading Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So the cloud and the fire go in between the Egyptians and the Jewish people. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was a cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. The best we can tell is there's light over here for the Jewish people as they get ready to cross the Red Sea, and it's blocking the Egyptians. And maybe there's darkness on this side, and so the Egyptians, in a sense for a while, are stuck. They're there. There's the cloud that's blocking them, and we're going to see what happens to the Jewish people on the other side. And so the very first thing that he did is he moved the cloud. And protected them, gave light between, to the camp, uh, basically between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, gave light. Now the second thing is, and so the first thing is protection. Now here's the second thing, the parting of the Red Sea. Look at verse 21. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so the waters were divided. Do you understand what is so amazing is that he stood there and he swept out and suddenly the wind began to blow and the water began to move and the water parted right in front of these people. And it wasn't a part that's big like this little room. It was so wide. No telling how wide it was because how many people have got to go across? At least two million people. There were were 600,000, wasn't it? 600,000 men? Or was it 800,000 men? I think it was 600,000 men, not counting the women and the children. And so they're going across. And so there's all these people. And you can picture them. This, you picture the people. They're lining up. They're, they're going by their families. They're saying, okay, let's go, let's go. And they're marching through there, and they're going out. And it's a big section of people, and they're all going. And it's going to take them all night to go across there. And you can see them as they start. Now, we talked about this last time, that it took faith to go there. You got water. Picture, picture, this is a wall of water, and this is a wall of water. And I'm about to go. And you're, you're fixing to step in between this. You're, you're the first group going. They're saying, go ahead, go ahead. Are you sure we're going? Yes, go ahead. And you're taking your family with you. 
and your possessions and things you're carrying things. And right beside you is this water. And way over there, you, of course, it's going to be way over there because it's going to be a big area. You can see the water, and it's piled up. We're going to see next time when there's the song of Moses. In the song of Moses, he said, the water congealed. It was stuck. And it's an amazing picture. And I know that, that you have read this most of your life. Most of you have heard this story all of your life. I told you I was 19 years old the first time I ever read this. And at 19, I thought, this is, this is, this is amazing. Right? I think sometimes we take it all for granted. What if we saw it? What if we saw the waters move away? And, and, and we started to walk, and it wasn't muddy. wasn't anything. We're saying, this is dry land. Let's go, let's go, let's go. You know, we're going. I mean, this is the most unbelievable thing. You know, every time God cross, makes them cross the water, like they cross the, the Red Sea or they cross the Jordan River, it's always dry land. It fixes it with it. It's not all muddy, and everybody comes out going, boy, this is tough, you know. Then no, they just go right across on dry land. Think about it. And so it says, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord swept back the sea, swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night, turned the sea into dry land, and so the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right right hand and on their left. Wow, God blows the water back. Water on both sides, dry land. It makes it clear where they walked was dry. Two million people living. A huge area. It, it may have been two miles wide. Who knows how wide it divided. And all these people are going. And it's an amazing story. They had to trust God to go in between. Because let me ask you something. What if, what if, you're, what if you get halfway and the water comes back? Everybody will be drowned. Everybody will die. you got to trust that God's going to keep that wind blowing as long enough for you to get to the other side, wherever that may be. You realize in the events of life, we have to trust God, and sometimes we have to go through the water. We have to go through the water. Edward Lutzer said, you become stronger when you become weaker. They had to get up, give up and trust God. They had to just say, we got to go, and we're trusting Apparently, God later moved the pillar of fire and allowed the Egyptians to come after him. Because after the Jewish people got there, and probably as they were over halfway across, most likely, I'm just guessing now because it doesn't really tell, suddenly the Egyptians followed in after them. And up to this point, it had that pillar of fire and the cloud and everything stopping the Egyptians. And so the people were leaving. But maybe about the time they were halfway or three-quarters of the way across, God allows the Egyptians to come after them. Notice verse 23. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all of Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. So they're coming after them. Now let me tell you something. Uh, if you're an Egyptian going in after them, what do you think? This stuff could call back down on us anytime too. How, how do we know what's going on? I mean, would you want to go in between there chasing after them? Listen, if you had lived in Egypt and were one of the Pharaoh's soldiers... What did you? What have you experienced in the last six months? All those plagues, death of firstborn, and and now you're coming after these people, and there's this wall of water on both sides. You, you know, you just have to say, well, whatever they tell me to do, I'm going to do. But I'm not really, not really excited about going in after them. 
Because we've had nothing but trouble with these people. I mean, every time we try to deal with them, we got nothing but trouble with these people. So the third thing is now is God is going to trouble, as God got to hear, God troubles the Egyptians. Sometime after 2 a.m., God began to trouble the Egyptian army. Now, it's either 2 or 3. When you, if you'll notice that it said, at the morning watch. Now, you could either, and the way they used to divide it, they could either divide the night into three sections or four sections, like from 6 to 10, 10 to 2, and 2 to 6. Or... From 6 to 3, 3 to 12, uh, 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 excuse me, 6 to 9, 9 to 12, 12 to 3. So it's either 2 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock in the morning and when he begins to trouble the Egyptians. Notice what it says. After the morning watch, or at the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. So somewhere uh, very early in the morning, either 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock, God begins to trouble the Egyptian army. And they're in confusion. And they're going, they're going, you know, there's are soldiers and they're on the chariots and they're going, and all of a sudden they're, we're going to see that the, uh, some translations say their wheels begin to fall off their chariots. Some of them say that they, they can't turn them. They start turning the wrong way and the guys are going, something's wrong with our chariots. We can't even steer the things. What, what's going on? And he began to trouble them and they begin to get confused and all kind of things were happening. And notice what it says. He caused the chariots wheels to swerve and he made them drive with difficulty. Literally, it says heavy drive, and it means it's almost as if they were stuck. Now, let me ask you something. What could have happened? Psalm 77, verses 17, 18, and 20 say this. And it's talking about the, the children of Israel going through the, through the Red Sea and the enemy coming after them. It says, the clouds poured out water. The skies brought forth a sound. The arrows flashed here and there. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled. You did lead your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What could have happened at two or three in the morning? It could have started raining on the Egyptians in the middle of the place. So what happens when it starts raining? It starts getting muddy. And that may be why their wheels start messing up. And we don't know, but Psalm 77 seems to indicate that there was, it says the clouds poured out their water. They begin to let it rain. The Egyptians are getting stuck. Look what they said. He caused their cherished soil to swerve and he made them to drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, let's get out of here. Let's flee from Israel. For the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Back in verse 14, Moses said, the Lord will fight for you. The Egyptians say the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. It's coming true. They moved the cloud, parted the water, troubled the Egyptians, and now the last part, he closes the Red Sea. Notice verse 26. The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots, and over their horsemen. Now, when did this happen? Now, think about it. They leave, they're going across this thing all night long. And, and sometime late at night, the Egyptians start coming after them. And sometime between 2 and 3 in the morning, suddenly everything begins to mess up. Maybe it starts raining on the Egyptians. The wheels start getting stuck. The chariots start messing up. They begin to realize, wait a minute, we're, God is against us. We can't, he's fighting for them against us. And so God says, Moses, stretch out your hand so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians. 
If you're the Egyptians, you're stuck in the middle. And watch what happens. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state. When? At daybreak. While the Egyptians were fleeing right into it, then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Now that Hebrew word right into it means, it can mean into or away from. And so it's translated either way. And I think it means the idea that they're right in the middle of all of this and they're trying to run and get away. And here comes the water piling on top of them. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Now what is the goal? The goal would God would get the glory and Egypt would know the Lord. He said this over and over all through the whole thing so that they would know the Lord and that God would get the glory. And so it comes back, it's at daybreak. I think until I really started reading this carefully, I pictured it was like a movie, you know, and they're going across during the day, but they didn't go across during the day, they went across at night. All night long they went across and at daybreak the water came back. Wow. Amazing thing. Verse 28. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. How many chariots went in? How many did Pharaoh have? 600. And that wasn't all of them because it said there were others as well. And so here they are and they're all coming in there and all of Pharaoh's special chariots were destroyed. Were destroyed. This is not some shallow, marshy place, but a large body of water. Look what it says. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army. They had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. Covered them all, just like that. I love the contrast. The Egyptians, of course, drowned. As we have there, the Egyptians drowned. But look, but the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. The nation walked on dry land. This is a miracle. It is a miracle that defies anything. You know, when people say, that's a miracle, we won the game. That's not a miracle. A miracle is when things go contrary to nature. When, when somebody is raised from the dead, when somebody can't see, can see. When somebody who was completely lame, you know, it's like he told that guy, that guy had a messed up hand. He said, stretch out your hand. He stretched out his hand and it became a normal hand. That's miracles. That's a miracle when God does things like that. It was a miracle that he parted the Red Sea and then brought it back. Because it's impossible to do for a human being. It's impossible that the wind's going to blow to divide it. You might say the wind's going to blow and push it away a little bit, but to divide it and have a wall on both sides? Think about that. And to come back at exactly the right time. You want to hear a great miracle? Every one of us had a miracle. And the greatest miracle of all is that God would take us who were dead in trespasses and sins, children of the devil, and destined for wrath. God has taken us when we believe in Jesus Christ and he has made us alive and made us his children and given to us eternal life forever. That's a miracle. The new birth, being born again, is a miracle. We go from death to life, from darkness to light, from being the child of the devil to being a child of God to having eternal life. And it's all simply by faith. So look at the summary. He says, Thus the Lord saved Israel 
that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Because after the water went back over them and all that, I mean, those bodies and everything just washed up on the shore and everything. And they could look back and they could see all these dead bodies. And you could see Pharaoh over there going, what just happened here? How could this happen to me? And you know what he probably said? I hate those people. That's probably what he said. Because you could say they'd caused him nothing but trouble. But here was the problem. They were serving Pharaoh. They're supposed to be serving who? The living God. That's when Moses said, God said, let my people go that they may serve him. Basically, Moses is saying, we're not supposed to be serving you. We're supposed to be serving the true God. You're a false God. You got us serving you. We're supposed to be serving the true God. And Pharaoh has gone through all of this because he has refused to recognize that God is the true God. Remember this. God is the Savior, not us. God saved Israel that day. God saved me and you. He gave us eternal life as a gift. Look at the response by the nation. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. They saw the power... They they saw the power of God, they feared the Lord, and they believed Moses, and it was the fear and awe and reverence, and they were all awestruck by what has gone on. It's an amazing thing. You would say this, you know, if you saw that, you'd never be the same. If you saw that, you'd never doubt God again. No matter what goes on in your life, you would never doubt God again. Isn't that right? And so what do they do? They get just a little further away. They get a little further up. They come to a place there's no water. They come to a place called Myra, which means bitter. It means complain. And they get there and they go, hey, there's no water here. Thanks a lot, Moses. And what, you know what God does? He, t- he tells Moses to take a piece of wood. A piece of wood. And he threw it into the water and then they could drink it. You know what he's saying? Listen. That's not bad. I can make bad water. I can make good water out of bad water. I just use a piece of wood. Use anything. Because I'm God. Why do you doubt me? What do we do? He does something great for us all the time, right? And then we go, I just don't know what we're going to do. God says, what do you mean you don't know what you're going to do? I'm in control here. You're not going to do anything. I'm taking care of everything. What have we seen? We've seen God protects the Jews by the fire that night. They cross on dry land. They trust in God. Egypt follows. God troubles them. In the morning, the sea returns and drowns the enemy. And the Jewish people saw God's power. And it was awe and faith and, and all of that as they saw it. So let me give you some applications. First of all, trust God as our Savior and deliverer. Think about it. He's the one that gives us eternal life. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to deliver us from sin and give us eternal life. As the Jewish people... As God delivered the Jewish people from Egypt, he delivers us from sin. And I hope and pray, and I I know everybody in this room just just about, I mean, really know you, uh, that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. And that's the key, that we have trusted in the one who saves us, Jesus. You've heard me say it a lot of times on Sunday morning, that you are not the Savior, Jesus is the Savior. And he is the Savior. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. He's the one that gives eternal life. It is God who so loved the world that he gave his Son. Whoever believes has life. He saved us from the penalty of sin. He saved us from the power of sin. And so we can trust him day after day after day. He is our Savior and our Deliverer. Realize how God is able to save. 
He's sovereign. He's all-powerful. He created all things. He controls the nature. He controls the Egyptians. He controls the situation. He can do anything. We need to rest in the security that we have because he's working all events according to the counsel of his will. I have to read this story to you. Some, some of you know this. There's the story about a little boy came home from Sunday school, and his mother said to him, What did you learn today? And he said, Well, I learned how the nation of Israel came out of Egypt. And she said, oh, tell me the story. And he said, well, here's what happened. As they, got, as they came out of Egypt, they came to some water, and they built this bridge. And as they crossed over, the Egyptians came, but the Egyptians had tanks. And as they got there, the Israelis turned around, and the Israeli Air Force came down and bombed them, and they all got out and got safe. And the mother said, honey, is that what your teacher told you? And she said, no, but you'd never believe what she said. <laughs> Think about it. It's so true. God is able to do anything. What is our response to all of this? And that is to fear and to trust. Fear is the awe. Realize who he is and what he has done. He is our great God and our Savior. And, and uh, uh, Ruth Bell Graham said, Worship and worry can't live in the same heart. While you're worshiping the Lord, you can't be worrying. Who he is and what he's done, trust him. Trust Him as the Savior, the provider, and the protector. Not only does He give us eternal life, He takes care of us day after day after day, and He provides for us. So in the trials and problems of life, may we rest in our sovereign, all-powerful God who saves, delivers, and protects. What a passage.